Amen. Welcome everyone today. If you're a guest with us, we're so glad you're here worshiping with us this morning. We welcome you today. Amen. Praise God. We hope all of you had a wonderful Thanksgiving and had a chance to spend time with um, friends and family and share it with wonderful food and great leftovers and plenty of dessert. Now we're all depressed because we ate too much, but we're so thankful we're here today. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Let me say really quickly, I did forget to mention, and this is part of the sort of the change that we're progressing towards, and that is after we're done today, we do need to um, take down, if you would help us for a few moments, and that's sort of going to become the, the new routine. The new normal on Sunday morning is that we won't be able to take down on Sunday night. Praise God. I know today this seems somewhat of a strange direction to go on this particular Sunday morning. There are certain Sunday mornings that as a pastor and someone that has been in church my entire life, you sort of start to learn the ebb and flows of just how a year progresses. And there are certain Sundays that, um, that are difficult because we are flesh. And I know most of you spent most of your Thanksgiving fasting and praying, locked into the Word of God, studying it deeply to pull out the nuggets of wisdom that come from the Word of God and just did not have time to participate in Thanksgiving activities because you were so enraptured in your spiritual journey. But for the rest of us that did not have that kind of Thanksgiving, there are certain weeks, certain Sundays that are tough. I mean, you know... It's, depending on the year and, and falls, what, what day that falls on and, and what particular Sunday um, things fall on. There are certain Sundays that uh, it's a little more difficult for us to get engaged than others. We are human beings, and Paul even said it this way, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, and uh, that we, are, we, we go through natural ebbs and flows. We go through natural ups and downs, and we have our own struggles, our own difficulties, our own flesh. And, and because of that, today, we could easily, easily come in and, and do our normal routine and stamp off another Sunday and just chalk it up and say, well, we came, we, we, we saw, and we left. That's what we did today because it's just another Sunday and, and it's just another day on the calendar. And I don't believe, I don't believe there's any time where the people of God come together, that's just another Sunday. I don't believe that. I don't believe there should be in any time, and I know there are times that we, we, we kind of fall into the trap, but I don't believe there should be ever a time that we come together simply to go through the motions and to mark another day on a calendar and say, okay, that's done, now let's move on. Because every time we come together, the Bible says, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, I will be in the midst. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. You know what? If you aren't here today, and there are many that are not here today, and we miss them, and they'll be back next week. But you know what? We can still go on and see God move if they're not here. Yeah. 
If you're not here today, we'll still be here. We'll still worship. We'll still sing. We'll still pray for one another. We'll still feel the presence and power of God. And that's, that's, that, that we would not, not negative towards you, but we will go on. But if he's not here, if God doesn't show up, if we don't feel the presence of God, if we don't feel God and feel the move of his presence and we can feel him moving in this place, then what have we accomplished today? If we've come together simply to sing a few religious songs and to hear somebody talk for a few minutes and then go on our way, but we never have an encounter with Jesus Christ, then what have we accomplished? It's not going to be like we're going to get to heaven and God's going to pull out your attendance sheet and say, well, I'm sorry. Hey, you did 10 Sundays in a row. Well, that at least erases one sin. Hey, you did 15 Sundays in a row. Oh, man, you went to church every week this year. Pick your biggest sin. I'm going to erase it. You star student, you. But I believe, truthfully, not everyone doesn't believe this. It's just my, maybe it's my my. Belief and passion all rolled up into one. But I believe every time that we come together, every single time we come together, something should happen. There should never be a time that we come together. Now, does it happen? Yes. But there should never be a time where we come together that we look at each other and go, what just happened? What was the point of that? I should have stayed home. I should have just left and stayed in bed in my PJs, had my breakfast, read the newspaper, and just forget all about this stuff. But if we're truly worshiping the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the great I Am, if we're truly worshiping that God, then something should happen. And so I say today that what I feel the Lord has put on my heart placed in my spirit today, it seems a little different than what would normally be done today, what would be taught, because I'm dealing with a group that you're here today. It's a holiday weekend. You could be at home with family. You could be out of town, but you're here today. And I'm not saying that those aren't here today have made the wrong choice. I'm just simply saying today took extra effort. Let's just put it this way. It took some extra effort, okay? I know some of you just sprung out of bed. You just ran in here because this is, you were just excited but there was extra effort involved in today. But I want to draw your attention, if I could, you can remain seated. Matthew chapter 15, Matthew 15 and verse number 21. Matthew 15, verse number 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed to the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Notice in Scripture, any time that we, we get a lot of faceless, nameless people in Scripture. We don't really get their background. We don't really get nuggets about who they are. We, don't, we, we very rarely get their names. So any time that we find in Scripture where, where we get something about their name or they get something about their background, there's something that needs to be understood about that that's significant. Because it addresses in verse 22 that this is a woman of Canaan. Verse 23, but he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, 
Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto him, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. I'm going to make a statement and before you go off and you misquote me, understand the context of this because for the last little while this has been sort of a passion and a topic in our house. My wife has heard me preach this message numerous times over the last couple of weeks because it's something that has been absolutely churning over and over in my heart. And I mentioned it several weeks ago. And one of the things that I mentioned the Lord has spoken to me about this is that we have majored on the minors and we have minored on the majors. What does that mean? Let me just break it down and tell it to you this way. We have become more concerned about what we're doing than why we're doing it. We have become more concerned about dotting every I and crossing every T and we've lost the true essence of why we're doing what we're doing. And can I say to you today within context, God is more concerned about your why than your what. Uh, Some of you don't believe that. That's okay. I can't help it. You can't read the Bible. God is more concerned about your why than your what. Because you know what? You can do your what with the wrong why and it doesn't count to anything. But you can do the wrong what with the right why and He'll overlook your what. Because we find in this situation that what she was doing wasn't in God's plan. The what to what she was doing. She was coming to Jesus. It wasn't time for her to come to Jesus. And I don't have time to go into all the historical background of who she was and all the things that pertain to that. I would encourage you to go home and look it up. It's fascinating to see the history of this woman, the history of the people she came from, and sort of the dynamics that were taking place during this time and why there was such a sort of an animosity there and why people reacted the way, she, the way they did. But in reality, at that time, her what didn't fit with God's plan. Her what didn't add up correctly. But when he challenged her on her what, she answered him with her why. Because when he realized, the fact of the matter is, he tried to get rid of her by speaking to her. And I've often said this, if Jesus was your pastor, you wouldn't come to church. Because I'm telling you right now, if I said to you what he said to her, there would nobody be showing up next week. I would have a list of offenses as long as you could see. And he looked at her and said, it's not time. And called her a dog. And I love this woman. Because he used, she used his words back at him. Because she said, You're a dog. And she said, but yeah, but even the dogs. Fine. You know what? If that's what I am, that's okay. Because even the dogs can get crumbs that fall from the master's table. Can I challenge you with this today? One of the whys in this woman, yes, her need drove her to Jesus. But if it was just simply about her need that what she was seeking for, when he said that and turned her away, she would have walked away disappointed. But 
bottom line in her heart, she wasn't looking at someone that can meet her need. She was looking at a man that could fill her heart. Because when he said to you, you know, this is time, you got to go. She said, but yeah, just give me a crumb. Just give me a crumb. I, I, can, I, can, I can get through this with a crumb. My question to you today is, we all have needs in our life. We all have things in our life today. I don't care if you've got it all together and you have a perfect life. Somewhere in your life today, you've got a need. The question comes down to, it's not what you do when God meets that need, but how do you react when He doesn't? Everybody can dance and shout and jump up and down and high five and say, yes, when my need is met. But when my need's not met, when I pray and He doesn't answer, when I call out to Him and I ask Him, but He doesn't come to my rescue, then what? Because bottom line today, in your why, who are you seeking for? You see, you go back to a very familiar story. And that was the story of a man named Lazarus who died. He was a younger man. He died. He had two sisters, Martha and Mary. And Jesus was away. In fact, he was very close to the family. And Scripture tells us many occasions sort of his uh, affinity for this family. But when Lazarus died, he was away. And when he returned back to the house to, to, to be with the family, Martha comes out and her first response to Jesus was, if you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And I love the response that Jesus gives to her because he didn't, doesn't respond to her accusation. He responds back to her and says, I am the resurrection. And the life. He did not respond to the petition of her need, but he responded back to who his identity was. Because you see, there was something he was trying to get to Martha that she didn't get at first. And she got flustered because she didn't see it. So finally, she went back and she found Mary. She said, Mary, Jesus wants to see. First of all, Jesus never asked for Mary. But Martha was trying to manipulate the situation. She said, Mary, Jesus wants to see you. Mary comes out and her same thing, same song and dance. If you would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And he watches this interaction go on. And then the Bible says that they went out to the graveside and they went out to mourn and weep. And there was a verse there that's the shortest verse in the Bible. Two words. Simply put, Jesus wept. I've heard many people give their interpretation on that. I'm not saying my interpretation is correct. It's just the way I see it. Many people have read that verse and their interpretation of that verse is that Jesus cried because he was feeling sorry for them because they were in a situation of loss. But I don't believe that's the case because Jesus had already said to his disciples, let's go wake him up. He's just sleeping. So Jesus already knew what was going to happen because he had already prophesied to his disciples what was going to take place. He's going to be awakened. He's just sleeping. So when Jesus begins to weep, why was he weeping? 
Why was he weeping when he looked at this situation and he took it all in and he saw Mary down there at the graveside weeping and, and all these Jews huddled around and weeping and we go back to what he said to Martha and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. I, I, I am the resurrection. So then why was he weeping? Well, you got to go a little farther. You got to kind of jump ahead in the story and start to realize what took place when these events started to happen. Because it was really this particular event that started setting in motion Jesus' final days. It was sort of this event that started really turning the tide and, and led to the final few, few moments and few weeks and few days of his life that, that sort of set everything in motion to finally ending with his crucifixion because he knew. He knew his time was coming to an end. And he had spent years at that point meeting needs, feeding, healing, touching lives. I mean, by that point in time, he had done miracles that were astonishing. I mean, by that point in time, we know on two two occasions, and one that really is amazing is he fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And and then we know on another occasion where he healed, the Bible said he just healed a multitude. There were so many, the gospel writer couldn't even count. He just said he healed them all. We don't even know how many he healed at one time. And by that time, we had found lame that had walked, blind who could see, the dumb who could speak, dead who had been raised. I mean, Jesus walking by a funeral one day, they said, stop, put the body down. And this is the kind of stuff that had happened at this point. By that point, somewhere along the line, and these two people in particular, Martha and Mary, these are the same women that were in the story that talked about Martha was busy doing chores, but Mary was at his feet. These are those women. And on all of this discussion, somewhere along the line, if anybody got it, if anybody should have seen what was really going on, it should have been these people because they weren't just simply the, 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 the followers of Jesus, but they were really invested in what was going on. But in the end, they said, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And the Bible says very plainly, very simple, Jesus wept. Why did he weep? Because he had realized something in that moment. Something was beginning to come, become clear. And that was this. Is that they were really seeking for the need and not for him. Is that really in all of this, the lost part that had happened in all this was, is that people were coming to him because they had a need. But they were missing Who is really there? Because there was coming a short time in just a few weeks that all of this was going to take place and he was going to be living and we go from thousands upon thousands and I've tried to do a study and it's almost, I'm sure somebody has done it better than I did, but when you start trying to total up the number of people that Jesus touched in the Gospels and you get into the thousands and the tens of thousands, It starts to add up quickly and it's hard really to come with a firm number because again, there are several places where it just said and he healed the multitude. It just left it as a a number, as a a faceless, numberless group. So we don't know if it was 10, 100, 200, 1,000. He just said he healed them all. But let's just use the term that obviously we know on two occasions it's 9,000. 
And we can at least say it's got to be over 10 and more than likely higher than that. And these are people that he healed all over the place to the point in time where when he went somewhere, people flocked to him. Because we find that when the lady with the issue of blood came to Jesus, she could barely get to him. Zacchaeus couldn't even see him. He had to climb into the tree because everywhere people went, thousands came to just be around him. But when it finally came down to the very end of everything and he stood on a hill and he said, I go to prepare a place, but I'm coming to you again. But go to Jerusalem and pray until you're endued with power on high. By that point, we had gotten down to 500. 500. And just several days later, that 500 had dwindled down and all the way in the book of Acts chapter 2, we find it was only 120. How do we go from thousands all the way down trickling to 120? Where were the tens of thousands? Where were the people that had had their loved ones Change. Where were all the people that had had a death sentence of leprosy placed upon them? But Jesus came and with just one spoken word, they were healed. Where were all they at? We, we don't know. The Bible mentions several people that were there in the 120, but it doesn't mention very many of them somewhere along the line. I don't think some of the people in the gospel were there. So what happened in all that? Because the bottom line is you and I are going to face a very similar situation to that. Is As long as the miracles are happening, we're going to keep coming to Jesus. But what do you do when the miracle stops? Because you know there's a shelf life on a miracle. Every miracle has a shelf life. Why? Because I find in Scripture that their miracles had a shelf life. Because you know what? When the miracle happens, it's great. But there comes a point in time, guess what? Life's still going to throw stuff at you. That's why Paul says we move on from faith to faith. Not the event of the one time, but it's really today. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today. It's not spoken to the sinner. It's not telling the sinner today is the day you're saved. That's t- it's spoken to the believer that said, what are you going to do about today? There's a song we've sang before, and we sing, it, we sing it several times, but it says, yesterday's gone. Today I'm in need. I'm thankful for what God has done for me in the past. I'm thankful for what God had done, has done for me last year, several years ago. I've got things that God has done in my life. I was telling my kids a story the other day, and some of you know this story, and I don't have time to go into it, but it's starting to, starting to fade away the older I get. But I was trying to show them the other day, and I barely could see it now. I have had a... When I was younger, it was a pretty significant scar. But as I've gotten older, uh, it's, it's gone, it's faded away. But when I was a child, I was severely burned. I was a, I was a, I was a lap baby at the time. I was severely burned. In fact, it was, such, it was so severe that you actually could see the bone on my arm. And, and the Lord miraculously healed me. And I was trying to tell them that story. And you know what? I was too young. I didn't. That, that, I don't remember. I mean, I was a, I was only months old. I don't remember any of it. But bottom line is, I'm thankful for what God has done in my life. 
But I got to be honest with you, I stand here today and I've got needs. And I can rely on yesterday and what happened back then. But bottom line is, I've got needs today. But I got to be honest with you. Every time I come to God with a need, He doesn't wave His magic wand over me and say, Abracadabra, it's all good, and you go home and it's perfect. I got to be honest with you. I don't know about you. There's sometimes I pray and it actually gets worse. I know all of you, you have an inside track with God. Help me. Because I prayed sometimes and it has gotten worse. I'm like, why did I even pray? I feel like I've stirred up the stirred it up by praying. Better off leaving it alone. But we go back and we begin to look at these things and we look, we look at the references. We talk about when Martha and Mary, we looked at the Syrophoenician woman and we start to look at, there's something that I think that becomes common that really is what I feel the Lord is trying to challenge us with, with today is that the why to which we are here today. Do we have needs? Yes. Can God meet those needs? Absolutely He can. Does he want to meet those needs? I believe he does want to meet those needs. Does he always meet those needs? No, he doesn't. Why? Because first of all, his, his, his word says, in this world you shall have tribulation, meaning it's not always going to be perfect. There is no place in the Bible that says coming to God makes your life perfect. Nowhere in the Bible does it say if you come to God. In fact, can I be honest with you? There's no place in the Bible. Some people use giving as an insurance policy. Can I just stop for a moment if you mind? We think giving is an insurance policy. Coming to church. We think coming to church is like fire insurance. It's going to keep us from the fiery pit of hell because we're here. It's insurance. It's not work that way. God's not interested in being your insurance policy that you cash in the moment you have difficulty. But God, I've come to church. But God, I've given. But God, where's my insurance policy when I need it? But the challenge today and the challenge we all have to face is is when you get down to the why, are we chasing the miracle or are we chasing the miracle worker? Are we chasing the one who can meet our needs? Or are we chasing the one who loves, died for us? Because bottom line, the passion, it's been something we've been talking about in my house and we've been going over and the Lord's been working on me and talking to me and we've been sharing back and forth. My wife and I have been talking about this at length and we just, we just get lost in conversation. Bottom line, it comes down to one simple thing in all of this. And most of the time when you say this, most of you dismiss because you go, oh, I already know that. Well, you know what? I got to challenge you today. You may know it intellectually, but somewhere along the line, it hasn't gotten in here. And that is, it simply comes down to one thing, and that is having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Having a personal relationship with Him, where you walk with Him, you talk with Him. He's just as real on Monday as He is on Sunday. He's just as close to you on Tuesday as he is in the middle of a worship service 
to have a relationship with Him that every morning you get up, the Bible says new mercies. When you get up in the morning, He's the first thing on your mind. When you go to bed at night, He's the last thing you think of. I'm not talking about religion experience. I'm not talking about when you come to church, you clap your hands, you say three hallelujahs and a thank you Jesus, and then you go on and you live your life. But something that gets down inside of you, that's a passion to know Jesus. To passion to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Because bottom line is, there's got to be a passion for it. You cannot have a relationship that's void of passion. No marriage works without there being passion. Without there being a driving force. In fact, marriages that lose their passion begin to drift apart. Because there has to be a passion in all this. There has to be a why in all this. Why are we doing what we're doing? Oh, we're coming to church so we can be saved. That's not a good enough why it may get you here but it won't keep you here you might show up because you want to be saved but if that's all you ever do you won't stay here because there will become a point in time where you'll get tired of messing with life and the difficulties of life and if all church is an insurance policy and you're like well you know what I have heartache whether I come to church or not come to church so I might as well not come but when it comes down to the fact it's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It comes down to knowing Him. It comes down to the fact that I don't need, and I don't mean this to be negative, but I don't need to be in a church service to feel Him. In fact, the greatest experiences you have with God should not come in here. They should come out of here. The greatest realities of your relationship with God should not be recorded in these walls, but really should be recorded in your house or in your way to work or somewhere else where there's nobody around. There's no music. There's no drums. There's no crazy man speaking. It's just you and Jesus. And when you begin to call out and say, Jesus, 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 that you begin to feel His presence. I don't care if you got all the what right. If you don't have the why, what have you accomplished? If you've got the what in your life, well, I'm doing this because this is what I do, and I go to this, and I do that, and that, and you got the what, but you don't have the why, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Can I be honest with you? That's why I believe in the end we're going to look at some people and we're going to go, how in the world did they make it? Because let's be honest, we, don't, we, we, we act like we don't do this, but let's just, let, let's just be real, okay? Let's be real, come on. Let's stop faking it. We look around and we go, I know I'm more spiritual than them, my goodness. Look at that. Or better yet, look, I know what they're involved in. I saw it on Facebook. I know, how can they come in here? Come on, let's be honest. We look around and we start, we don't, we're not supposed to compare, but come on, there's not a one of us in here that don't do that. And if you, do, if you say you don't do it, the truth's not in you. We need to pray for you right now. I believe in the end we're going to look at people and go, how in the world, how in the world did they make it? How did they make it? You notice this? I know, it's, I know it's simple. I know, I know we're not getting deep into it today. It's simple stuff. 
But who did Jesus go seek for? Who did Jesus look for? In fact, his greatest clashes came when he clashed with those about the what. Because they wanted to challenge him on the what. But Jesus always went back to the why. In fact, he looked at one, he looked at that group one day, the what group, and he said, you guys are so concerned about your what. I'm, I'm, I know we didn't say this, I'm just, this is how I'm putting it today. He said, you're so, so concerned about your what, that inside your why is a mess. But if you would get your why straight, it would clean up your what. You know what today, can I be honest with you? Your sin doesn't scare God. Your junk doesn't intimidate God. Your mess doesn't scare God away. He didn't, he didn't roam through here today. There's some stuff happening right there. I got to move on. He didn't do that. Your stuff, the Bible says, who can separate us? Who can separate the only person separating you from God today is you. The only person standing between you and an encounter with Jesus Christ is you. Because you see, my desire today, and my passion, I guess you would put it that way, for everyone here today, is that I, my passion is that you would see God in a way you've never seen Him before. That you would find Him in a way you've never found Him before. But if there's not a passion in you to do that, I can't preach that to you. I can't stand up here and speak that to you. I can't read enough scriptures in here to get you to feel that. There's got to be something down on the inside of you that, that starts to rise up in you. Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift. Stir up the gift. Paul didn't say, Timothy, I'm coming over you. I'm going to stir you up. He told Timothy, stir up the gift. Get something in you. That desire is to say, God, I want to know you. I want to find you. You see, we often talk, I've used this before, but let me use it again. We often talk about the fact, we, we say it, we, we, say the, we say the phrase, well, we had a move of God. Boy, God really moved. And I understand what we're saying uh, about that. I understand the, the essence of why we say that. But when you really look at it, it doesn't make sense because the Bible says that, that, that God is omnipresent. Meaning he fills all space. So if he's already as big as he can, how can he move? In order for him to move, he would have to occupy space he doesn't already occupy. Well, if he's already big and he fills all space, he can't move. So when we say God move, what are we really saying? Well, the truth of the matter is if God can't move, who can move? I'm the one that has to move. Why do you think when we worship and we praise, it ushers in a move of God. Because why? Because when we worship and we praise, we move. Not physically, although sometimes we may physically move, but it's the idea that when I begin to worship and I begin to praise, according to Scripture, I actually begin to move into His presence where He can then manifest Himself to me and I can begin to see Him like I've never seen Him before. 
And God coming in to show Himself to me. And I can see something about Him that I haven't seen before. But that takes something in me that desires to know Him and have a passion to find Him like I've never seen or known Him before. Can I ask you today, don't answer this question out loud, but is there anybody here today that you're satisfied where you are? Is there anybody here today that you can honestly say to me or say to yourself, not to me because I really it doesn't matter if you're honest with me, you've got to be honest with yourself. Is there anybody here today that you would honestly say, this is it, I'm so satisfied with where I am, I don't want to go anywhere beyond where I'm at. Is there anybody here today that's the case? I would hope to God it's not. I would hope to God, even if you've, we've got people that have been around for 30 years plus, I believe in even in their heart today, they would, they would say, you know what, I'm not satisfied with where I am. There's still more about Him I want to know. There's still more about God that I want to find. There's still more things about Him I don't know. And I want to seek to find Him. And you know what, if we continue to focus on the what, but we don't get back to the why. Why am I here? Because I've got to be honest with you. As, as, and, and dads do it, but moms do it so much better than dads. Dads don't do it. We, we stink at it. We, we try, but moms are amazing. My son's now in kindergarten, so he's got a little bit of drawing. But he's starting to work on a little bit of drawing ability. We're actually starting to have some semblance. And so the other day he came and he had drawn two... And so he's at the stage now where he hadn't quite got the anatomy of a stick figure quite right. So basically his, his anatomy of a stick figure is it's a circle with two little circles in and more circles inside. I'm not really sure all that's happening there. And then everything else sort of goes out from the circle. He knows what they all are. I have no clue. And so the other day he had... he he. He, uh, he came and he had drawn this deal where there was these two circles with the other circles and the other circles and then everything else just went from the circle. There was no body. There. It was just arms, legs, everything just coming out from the circle. Looked like a jellyfish. And I remember he, he took it brought to my wife. He said, Mom, I made a picture of you and me. At that point in time, he could have gotten anything he wanted. She just melted. But you know what? If he'd have gone to the store and he'd have picked out the, the, the most beautiful picture in the store and brought it to her and handed it to her, she'd have gone, buddy, this is nice. Thank you. But because he took time to write it out and it came from in here to her, it meant the world. That was the most beautiful picture. You know what? Stop trying to paint God the Mona Lisa. Stop trying to give God what you think He wants. This perfection. Everything in your life. Why fake it? He already knows it anyways. You may think you're fooling us. And do you know what? i got to be honest with you. When you're around, people do are great actors. Hollywood has nothing on church people. <laughs> My goodness. One of the years, one of these days, we're getting Oscars at the end of the year. <laughs> For the best smile in the midst of tragedy, the winner is. <laughs> For the best way to cover up bitterness, the winner is. 
I'm serious. I'm telling you, church people are amazing and acting. Because every once in a while, stuff comes out, and you're like, really? I didn't know that was in there. And come to find out, it was always there. They just hid it well. Now I've gotten all the Oscars in Hollywood. I don't even know where I'm at anymore. Where are we at? You know what? You come down to it. You can try to fool, and you do fool. You can fool us. But you know what? God's not looking. And can I be honest with you? I'm going to so, go as bold as to say this. He told, he told Samuel, man looks on the outward, but I look on the heart. I find it funny to believe that he says that to Samuel, but we spend so much time trying to make our outward world look pleasing. But really, he more war worries about what's happening in here. It's more worried about what's happening here. Because he said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All things having to do with inside. He didn't say love the Lord with your actions. Love the Lord by coming to church, but really love him by what's going on in here. God's grace and God's mercy is so everlasting. I find this with my being a parent has Chris, if you come, give them some hope. I find with, with my kids, it's taught me a lot about God because when my kids do something, the first thing I want to know and try to find out is the why behind it. Because you know what? We had my middle child, God bless her, her coordination is still lagging behind. Pray for her. She needs help. And I guarantee you, if something's going to spill, she will be the one to spill it. I don't even need to know. I could just, if it's spilled, I just know it. I just... There's no special spiritual gift things. I just know it's her. So she had filled up a bowl. I believe it was chocolate rice krispies. And those things, have you ever seen them? They are like, I mean, a bowl of this must have 5,000 of those things in it. They're so small. She's walking up the stairs. She was going to sit in her room. Yes, walking, yes, walking with a bowl of 5,000 pieces of sugar. <laughs> she got, we have like, let's just say tw- 10 steps, 11 steps. She got to the last one. She was home free. I mean, she could see the finish line. And her toe grabbed. And the crash came. And the... I mean, it was, when I say it was everywhere... It was, I mean, you walk around the corner and you're like. But you know what? There's the biggest mess. Oh, my God, it was a mess. But you know what? Didn't get onto the what because of her why. 
the mistake of falling and spilling the cereal was a mess. But you know what? I didn't really care about the action because in her heart. But you know what? There are times where we said, don't get anything else to eat right now because dinner's coming. And when they sneak in and they get something and then they make a mess, now it's different because now I'm dealing with the why. You know what? I feel like some of you today, you're looking at a mess you've created. A bunch of Rice Krispies spilled all over the place. And you come to God and you're shamed because you're expecting God to say, why have you made such a mess? Can I be honest with you? There's no vacuum cleaner on the market that has more ability to clean a mess like the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no parent that loves their child and forgives their child and cares about their child that he can even scratch the surface of God's love for us. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Can I be honest with you today? So many of us are struggling because we have so much stuff in our life that we think disqualifies us. We have so much stuff in our life that we feel like we've made mistakes and we've done this and we have this problem, we've done that and all of that. But can I be honest with you? I don't really think God cares about that today. He really cares about you and your why. He looked at that woman that day and said, I can't do this today. It's not the time. She said, I just need a crumb. Looked back at her and said, I haven't found faith in all of Israel like this. You can continue to let your mess disqualify you or you could just simply bring all that to Jesus because he's more concerned about your why to seek him Jesus turned around and looked at a man and said upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it just a short time later that same man looked at people and said I don't even know who this I don't know him I don't know him I don't even know him. But then we find the later after that, he was the one that stood up on the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2 and spoke. If anything disqualified somebody, that should have been the biggest disqualification. Here is, here is a man that denied even knowing him, and he was the closest to Jesus. So can I tell you today, I don't know what you think disqualifies you, but there's nothing in your life today that disqualifies you. And the biggest mistake we make is we want to clean things up to come to God. But the fact of the matter is, is that come to God and let Him worry about the rest. Stop trying to clean it up and make it perfect. Because it doesn't, work, it doesn't matter to Him. He just wants you. He wants you with all your mess. He wants you with all your shortcomings. He wants you with all your difficulties. He wants you. The question is, will you want him 
Well, you want him. Well, you seek him, find him. Father, you see every person in, person in this place today. You see every life. You see every heart. Lord, you even told us you don't even look on the outward, but you look on the inward. God, so many of us struggle because we see things. We see difficulties. We see our shortcomings. We see our thoughts. But God, you don't see any of that. You see your blood. You see forgiveness. You see love. I pray today, Lord, that you would give us fresh revelation of who you are. That you would put a passion in each one of our hearts to find you, know you, see you. Lord, I pray that today. Don't let us become complacent. Don't let us be satisfied with just a religious experience of coming to a place where we worship and we clap our hands and we sing and we listen to someone speak, but we're not satisfied with a religious experience. But God, there is a hunger in our hearts to know you, to find you, to seek you. Father, I pray this today. I pray this today. Lord, open our eyes that we can see. Open our hearts that we may know. Lord, let us see you, find you. Lord, you said seek and you'd find. Knock and it shall be open. Ask and it shall be given to you. Lord, I pray that those that are knocking would continue to knock. Those that are seeking would continue to seek. Those that are asking would continue to ask. Because your word is faithful. Show us who you are. Reveal to us who you are. Let us find who you are. Know who you are. Because knowing you is the greatest gift that we can ever be given. Knowing you is the greatest part of our lives to know you. Not know about you or not know what someone else says about you, but to know you. God, I pray that you would make yourself real to each one of us today. You would stick yourself real to us today. Can I challenge you today? We're rapidly, we're a month away from the end of the year. And something about the end of the year, it's a reset button for most of us. It gives us a fresh start. 2017 is a good year, bad year. You can chalk that up and move on. But can I challenge each one of you today? is that when we gather back again in a year from now on Thanksgiving weekend, and you look back at this Thanksgiving weekend, and you look at the year of your life, that one thing will be said of you in your own heart. Not that you did things better, not that you were more perfect, not that you had all the things in your life straightened out, but that you know God better then than you do today. You know Him and you're closer to Him then than you are today. Because you know what? That's the greatest thing that I can do. It shouldn't be, well, you know what? Next year I'm going to come to church more. Next year I'm going to try to read my Bible more. How many of you have started that quest in January? You were going to read the Bible, but by February you have, you just, it's not there. Your what was right, but the why for it is wrong. 
The what? Wanting to read the word is great. But why do I want to read the Word? I want to read the Word because the Word tells me about who He is. And if I don't want to know who He is, then reading the Word is just more than just reading words on a page. But if I want to know who He is, the Bible says His Word is who He is. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. My goal is to pray more. And I say, you know what, I'm going to pray. That's it, I'm going to pray more. And you sit your little clock up and say, I'm going to pray for 15 minutes today. And six minutes into it, you felt like you've been there for five hours. Because it's the what. It's not the why. Because if I have the why, 15 minutes feels like 15 seconds. Because it's the why, not the what. I, you, want to, you want to make time stand still? Pray to a clock. Seriously, put a clock in front of you and say, I'm going to pray for 10 minutes. That 10 minutes will feel as if it is 10 hours. But put the clock away and just spend time talking to Jesus. Next thing you look down and go, my God, I prayed for that long? I didn't realize it was that long. Why? Because it's the why, not the what. People say, you know what? You need to pray for an hour a day. Well, that's kind of scary because Paul said pray without ceasing. There's nowhere in the Bible that says pray for an hour. Why? Because you know what? When my why is to know him, he's never far from me. I don't leave Jesus here and go, go off and I'll, I'll see you next. Hey, Jesus, good to see you. Hey, really good to be with you. Appreciate you, your time today. I'll see you next week. It doesn't work that way. Because you know what? My prayers, when I get up in the morning, guess who's going to be there? Jesus. To know him. Can you stand with me today? I can't make this choice for you. I can't, I can't convince you. It's something that's got to be a choice for you today. And yes, a moment of decision today is awesome to make a choice today. But really, so many times we make a choice on Sunday, but we forget it on Monday. The challenge is not what you do here in the moment. The challenge is what are you going to do when you leave here? Because let's be honest, we can come up here and we oh, God, I want to know you. Oh, I want to know you, God. I want to know you, God. God, show me where you are, God. And then we get up tomorrow morning and we, nothing, nothing. I want to say this, not to be rude, but I'd rather you save the tears and make a choice than to cry it out and never change anything here. But there's a challenge in every one of you. Not to become a perceived idea of what a Christian is. But just to know him. I don't care what you do. I don't care how perfect you think you are, how messed up you think you are. It doesn't matter to God. He didn't call me to be the policeman. He just wants to know you. He wants you to know him. And the invitation's there. The choice is, what are you going to do about it? Can you just lift your hands to the Lord one more time? And can you tell him that? In your own words, say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to find you and see you. Come on, don't just be a, re a repetitive thing, but mean it. Speak it. Mean it. Speak it. Ask. Tell God that. Tell God. Tell God how you feel. Tell God how you feel. Make it real. Make it known. Not a religious exercise, but a reality of his relationship. 
In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Lord bless you. Make sure you greet somebody. Help us break down if you could. Don't forget, next Sunday, big Sunday, we need your help. See Brother Jetty, bring somebody. These flyers do not do any good up here, so take some with you. Use them. Come back next week. It's going to be an awesome time. We're going to have an exciting Sunday. Don't forget those of you that have small group this Sunday afternoon. Be a part of that. God bless you.